Before you listen to this podcast, you can subscribe to The Critic magazine with the current offer of five issues for just £10. Head to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk, to subscribe today. Hello and welcome to The Critic's podcast. Introducing The Critic's new column, This Sporting Life, Graham Stewart talks to the sports writer Boris Starling about the enduring appeal of a British Lions tour and the players who regard it to be more memorable than winning the Rugby World Cup. Boris Starling in this month's edition of The Critic magazine in the new The Sporting Life section. Um, You write about the forthcoming British and Irish Lions tour of South Africa. Um, the, the Lions, I mean, they're, they're a rather sort of strange sporting uh, uh, outlier in many ways. I, I mean, we, we expect the, um, the players of the various four nations to put their own nation first and through the Six Nations and the World Cup, they do so. And, and yet um, the, the Lions does seem to mean a lot to them as it does to their supporters across the British Isles. Given the sporadic nature of Lions tours, I mean, they tour the South, Southern Hemisphere once every four years, how has it managed to sustain this level of interest for so long? I think the sporadic nature of it is probably part of what of what um of what helps it as you say it's once every four years and they go to they go to australia new zealand south africa in turn therefore they go to each of those countries once every 12 years um and and therefore yeah and fundamentally for all but two months every four years they don't even really exist they have they have a separate management structure a separate corporate structure then they're not chosen by anything to do with the six nations or the home nations or world rugby um, and they have just sort of taken on their, a life of their own. And it's one of those things that it would never start, were you to start it now, rather like the royal family, were you to start them now, they would never happen because there's so many reasons that they are illogical. But they go back in history a long, a long, long way. I mean, the first lines, to, the first line, I mean, they go back 100 years or, or more. And over the years, sort of the history has, has added each time i mean it used to be it used to be irregular and sporadic in amateur days in the famous 1974 tour i think it was about four months and you know these and there were people ian mcgeekin who was a player then who then became lion's head coach he had to go to his bank manager and, uh, and ask for you know a four month pause on the mortgage he's a teacher and he wasn't getting you know the, i think he had a per diem in south africa but they they played something like 22 matches were undefeated at, you know, at a, at, a, at a time when the Springboks were obviously not uh, not involved in international sports of apartheid, and therefore the Springboks had this great idea that they were the, the sort of you know un, uncrowned world champions, and the Lions, the Lions put paid to that. But ever since then, ever since ever since so then ever since then it's been or ever since professionalism, it's been once every four years uh, in strict rotation, and people. You know, each layer sort of builds on the iteration before. Spectators save up, you know, to go on a thing of a lifetime. They go out there for months at a time in a way that they don't do for for England or Wales or Scotland. Um, and it's just become this huge thing. And for any home nations player, it is the absolute pinnacle. Um, it's unique in so many ways, even down to the way that they're, they're not just chosen but announced. When I did Open Side, Sam Warburton's autobiography, I ghosted it. He captained twice in 2013 to Australia and 2017 in New Zealand. Both times, the captain, is, the captain is told in advance or asked in advance, and then no one ever turns it down. And then so he was taken down to, I think it was Cyan House or Cyan Park, and then sort of presented to the media. 
Um, but everybody else finds out the same way the public do by watching it on on TV. And so you got so you had this, you know, and you can find it on social media. You had these amazing scenes in the Gloucester clubhouse where the, all the Gloucester team are watching the announcement, just like I was. And then Chris Harris gets announced, and they all mob him. And they they had these very flimsy sort of plastic social distancing screens that lasted about a nanosecond with some with some overexcited 120 kilo behemoth um, leaping over them. And then Lewis Rizamic got announced, and and it was. And you saw what it meant, not just to the players selected, but to all their all their club teammates who wouldn't have a hope in hell of being selected. But they all understand the magnitude of it. Um, and I think it's it's also because, and uh, the, the lions are this sort of this strange, tiny invading army of of. There's, I mean, the number of players varies. It's normally between thirty-five and forty, and then probably the same again of support staff and so on. So you're talking eighty people maximum. Going around a country, which is which is hostile, not in a in a physical way, but certainly in, in rugby terms, um, and therefore you have you have to rely entirely on each other, and all those national rivalries, which, as you say, you know, run very very deep. These players only ever play each other at international level. You know, they play in the Six Nations, maybe in the World Cup. Um, those Six Nations rivalries again go on year after year after year, and and each and each year is an, is another another layer, another iteration, and they run deep. And suddenly, in six weeks or less, you have to become friends, teammates, brothers in arms of people who you've only ever seen, you know, across the top of a, of a sweaty, heaving, steaming scrum. And sometimes has that gone wrong? I mean, have there been Lions tours where the, you know, the chemistry has not uh, bonded together and... and players from uh, the different home nations, frankly, they didn't like each other beforehand and uh, they, they like each other no better for having to share a team bus and a, and a hotel. There definitely have been. Um, there, there, were, there are two possible splits in Lions tours and, and both over the years have, have, have come to pass. One is, one is the sort of national clique, um, especially at a time when one team is very dominant, when one of the... Or the Home nations is very dominant. Whether there's too many English players, too many Welsh players, people can retreat into cliques. But the other thing is that often on alliance tour, obviously, um, sooner or later it splits into the test team who will play the three test matches against the home nation and the midweek team. You, they, they, they they always play four or five warm up matches against provinces, franchises, or whatever, where they where they mix and match, looking looking for the best combinations. But the pecking order always becomes clear because it always does. And keeping that midweek team on board is absolutely critical. In the, in the 1993 tour of New Zealand, the midweek team went badly off reservation um, and basically stopped caring. Uh, bizarrely, the only the only one the midweek team who conducted himself exemplary, in exemplary fashion was Will Carling, who was England captain and probably rugby's biggest superstar at the time because it was pre-Jonah Lomu. And Carling had every right to expect a, a place in the test team. It had actually been... Um, overlooked in favor of scott gibbs and whether carling was stung by this or whether you know he whether whatever reason he actually led the midweek team exceptionally well but most of them weren't interested um four years later when the Lions went to south africa in 97 which is still held up as the most famous tour for, for many many reasons they didn't make that mistake they chose and um, they chose players not just on the basis of how good they were but also, also their character as well and they said right at the start, there are no preconceived ideas here. There are no place, there are no names on seats, no names on jerseys. You are all playing with a genuine shot of it. And it turned out that, that was the case, that 
both props, Tom Smith and Paul Wallace, and one of the locks, Jeremy Davidson. If you'd picked a team when they left Heathrow, they would have been nowhere near the test team. But they played themselves in, and therefore they got their award. And that sends a message to everybody on that tour that actually everyone is being treated fairly. Um, and keeping, keeping an entire tour on, on the same team sheet, on the same uh, hymn sheet, sorry, is absolutely critical in terms of a tour success. Mm. Well, probably lessons for... Uh for management on how to build a Lions team, which are, which are in some ways more pertinent, some of the, the, uh, the kind of lessons of captaincy books that, that come out from time to time about, um, about national sides. Um, you, uh, I mean, the choice of coach is obviously central. I mean, we've got Warren Gatland. I mean, to what, what extent is, is the team Gatland's personal choice? Or is, are there pressures, you know, to make sure there's... Uh, there's uh, a more balanced representation of, of the four nations in a way in which you know, might, might not be a, a fair representation of, of their, you know, their balance of their competing talents at any one time? Very good question. Um, the, team is, the team is entirely Gatland's choice and his coaching staff, um, and it has to be. And his, his point, you know, Gat, and Gatland has historically been associated with Wales. He coached Wales for a long time. You know, Sam was his cap, Sam Orbiton was his captain there. Um, and I think Gatland has a tendency perhaps to go in a tight situation for the players he knows better than the ones he doesn't. That doesn't make him alone. Um, there have, there's always this kind of thing about how many players from each nation there is, and, and that has, over the last few years, especially been the case with Scotland, who have been not so much underrepresented, but they simply haven't been playing that well. Therefore, they've had very few players. Um, they, have, they have many more players this time um, because, they've, because they have a much better team. Um, but I think Gatlin's point is fundamentally... Once you're on tour, you're all lions. Um, in the same way that in Wales there are four there are four um, professional rugby teams: there's the Cardiff Blues, the Ospreys, the Scarlets, and the Dragons. But yet, when they play for Wales, they're all Welsh, and it's just one it's just one layer up from that. Once you once you play once you're a lion, you're a lion. Um, and the the quicker you forget your home nation, the better. Boris, you talk in your article for this month's critic about Sam Warburton, who captained in 2013 and 2017. Warburton, as a boy, had this uh, replica Lions kit, which he clearly cherished. Is is the Lions kit, isn't it a bit uh, like the way in which Australia's cricketers endlessly bang on reverentially about the traditions of the baggy green? It is It's. It is a little bit like that. I mean, the, 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 Aussies, the Aussies go on about about the baggy green they have that thing that they always wear it for the first fielding session of a test and um and so on um i think the lions jersey i mean the lions jersey as far as i know is one of the best selling replica jerseys out there you know again they only they only of course ever get it every 4 years but in sam's case his parents gave him that that jersey when he was i think 16 it was for the 2005 tour and he and he had a number 7 on the back cuz he played 7 and he wore it for months and months and months then he put it in a drawer and said next time i wear one will be for real and the night before the first test of the 2013 tour, his first test as captain in Brisbane, um, they were all given their jerseys. You know, the sort of and even the hand, the sort of handing out the jerseys is a very solemn ceremony, and it's always done by some, you know, Ali Cardi or great retired player who gives wordable words about the, the magnitude of the occasion. And they were they were asked whether they wanted to give their jersey back to the kit man and then see it in the dressing room the next day or take it with them. He said, "No, I'll take mine with me," and he laid it out in his bed. And he went down and he went to the door to go out down to, to supper and he came back to look at the jersey, went to the door, came back again and only on the third time managed to um, 
to, to leave the room because it meant that much to him and it, and it's yeah it is a very I guess it's a, you know it's a it's a sacred tunic to those to those people and, and I mean how does it compare to uh, you how does it compare winning a, a, a Lions Test series to uh, to winning the World Cup not I mean England players really need only apply here but but I mean you know, there, there's not very many Lions players who've, who've had that that, uh, that 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 joint honor but but what, what what was more important to them I wonder it's only it's only the dozen or so who played on the '97 Lions tour and were in the 2003 World Cup squads to whom that applies. I mean, I do remember there was a time when Lawrence Delalio, who was one of those, and in fact, uh, Lawrence, along with Matt Dawson, is also the only player to have won a World Sevens Cup, a World Fifteens Cup, and a Lions Tour. But that's beside, by the by. He was asked what was more special, a Lions win or a World Cup. And he said a Lions win. And he didn't even hesitate. And I think his logic was that fundamentally, when you're, when you're a Lion, you are this tiny sort of invading army you know, like Cortez and the Conquistadors, you know, far from home, and it's just you against against the world. When you're at a World Cup, there's 20 teams that then get whittled down to to eight, to four, to two. But you're fundamentally, you know, you're you're one of you're one of many contestants. When you're the when you're the Lions, it's just you against the world. And I think also that that, that 97 tour that he referred to was special for lots of reasons. Not not just that they picked so well. It was the first one in the professional era. The Springboks were world champions. Um, and there's a nice little oddity. The Springboks tend to win the World Cup at exact 12-year intervals, which coincides with the 12-year intervals the Lions go there. So the Lions always go there to face the world champions, as they do now. But also, there was the, the, it was just after professionalism. Therefore, the rugby league boys had come back to Union because they can now get paid. And they brought with them um, this, this professionalism in terms of attitude and so on that the Union boys didn't have before. And that was summed up by Scott Gibbs, who, um, who was player of the series that year. Gibbs was, was a Welsh centre who was, who was a ferocious competitor. And he would stand there, just, you know, he would stand sort of um, yelling at the opposition, you know, yelling at the opposition back row who were much bigger than him, you know, run at me, dickheads. And, there's a, and Jerry Guskett, who played outside him, you know, Guskett was still, I think, the most elegant player I've seen in 40 years of watching rugby. Guskett would tug on his jersey and go, what are you doing? You're winding them up. He goes, exactly. And it was that sort of confrontational attitude that, that, that Union boys hadn't had and that the, and the league boys brought back. And all this, oh, and the fact that they chose Martin Johnson as captain. And, and he'd only captained Leicester a dozen times, but, but McGeekin and Telfer saw something in him that, that they just knew would be not just a good captain, but the right captain for South Africa, where physicality is such a huge thing. And all these things coalesced in a perfect storm to make that tour so wonderful. And so I, I, and I think when, so when Lawrence talks about that being the greatest experience of his rugby life and greater than the World Cup, um, and it's not just the winning of the, of the series, it's all that went into that as well. Mm, well, I mean, you talk about the Springboks being the, the current uh, World Cup champions and uh, you know, this being the, you know, coming around every 12 years in, uh, in the Republic of South Africa. I'm wondering if there's a bit of a hierarchy between the, the three main um, Southern Hemisphere teams that uh, the Lions play. I mean, just looking at the looking at the record, uh, the Lions have got a very good uh, record against uh, the Wallabies. They've uh, they've um, they've uh, won seven tests, lost uh, lost six. Uh, not so good against the Springboks. Won seventeen, lost twenty three. And uh, you know the, the All Blacks, you know, for understandable reasons, have proved tough nuts to crack. 
um, Lions won seven, lost thirty. Is there still a sense that that it's you know the the All Blacks are really the 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 the, the huge challenge and. Uh, 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 and and the others are. I mean, you know, but playing the Springboks in South Africa is, is never light. But you know, if if you're playing against Australia, well, um, you know, the, the Australians are also fixated with with, with Aussie rules and and and, uh, and league rugby as well. So, is it, it, is there a hierarchy, or does it certainly not feel like that if uh, you've got various wallabies charging towards you? I'd imagine that that, that various wallabies charging towards you would concentrate the mind to pretty much the exclusion of of all else. I think when you're when you're when you're in it, there's probably no hierarchy. But there, but if you take the wider picture, there definitely is. I mean, and again, I we, I spoke about this to Sam Warburton, and we wrote it in his book that, you know, that he won the he won the series against Australia two one, and they drew the series against the All Blacks one each with a draw. And I said what, and I said to him when we were doing our sessions, what was the, what if you could take one, what would it be? He said, well, it would have to be, Australia because it's all about winning. But he said, by any rational yardstick, drawing against the All Blacks was a far greater achievement. You know, they are, they are, and have been for a long, long time, and will be for a long, long time, the benchmark of world rugby. Um, and interestingly, just on the, on the side, when the South Africa won the World Cup, um, they the year before the World Cup, they went to New Zealand and they beat New Zealand, thirty six thirty four, having lost to them fifty seven nil their previous match. Um, and they put all their eggs into the basket of that return match on the grounds that to win the World Cup, they would either have to beat New Zealand away or beat someone who'd beat New Zealand away. And so for, for them, as for the Lions, as for everybody, New Zealand are the benchmark. Um, the previous tour before 2017 was 2005 when the, when the All Blacks won 3-0 and frankly, they could have played 10 tests and won 10-0. I mean, they were just that much better. So I think, although the All Blacks are the hardest to go to, I think South Africa has always been... Um, the tour for the Lions, partly because of the the country is so beautiful. Not that New Zealand isn't, but you know the weather is good, um, and partly because it's always been tight. It's always been, I mean, the, the, the every single test of the of the professional era, or certainly every single test when the series is still being live, has been absolutely titanic, and there's been nothing in it. Um, whereas there there have been tests where the All Blacks have run rampant, uh, and it's been very one sided, but. South Africa and the Lions is always, I think, the sort of it's always the, the most equal matchup. Um, and it comes with so with so much. And so yes, I think in, in pure rugby terms, New Zealand's the ultimate. But to take it overall, I think South Africa is is just has the edge. And finally, Boris, as we get ready for uh, for South Africa, what do you sense is the mood music in uh uh, both the uh, the Lions and and the Springboks, you, you know, equals levels of confidence or uh, uh, what what what's the uh, the the pre-test psychology looking like? It's very hard to tell because the Springboks haven't played a Test match since the World Cup final in November 2019, so 18 months ago. Um, whereas the Lions, I mean, the Lions obviously haven't played as the Lions, but everyone playing in them has played has played in two Six Nations. Plus, there was the Autumn Nations Cup or whatever it was called last year that was a sort of, you know, fill-in for this, that and the other. So South Africa are, well, should be quite seriously undercooked. They've been playing, they haven't even, they, they've been playing franchise rugby, but only within South Africa. Normally they play super rugby, um, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand uh, franchise sides. They haven't been doing that because of COVID. They haven't travelled. So, I mean, the Lions have got a great chance to catch South Africa cold in the first test. Um, so, but again, 
with the Lions is always hard. You, you're trying to you're trying to to create a, a scratch team from zero in a few weeks flat. So there's there are far more unknowns this time than there have been before. So I think the mood music is is so difficult to read that until it all kicks off um, the first test. I mean, you will get a sense of it in terms of the provincial games that the Lions are playing. But again, the Springbok members of those provinces won't, you know, won't be playing against them. They'll be pulled out to stay in Springbok camp. So until until kickoff on the first test on the 24th of July, it's it's anyone's guess. I've been, I've been um, writing the autobiography of Sia Khaleesi, the Springbok captain, that it's just as big a thing for the Springboks as it is for the Lions. And that's, you know, and he said, short of a World Cup, this is as big as it gets. Everyone is desperate for them to come. Everyone's so glad that the tour is still on, even without traveling spectators. Um, you know, and there, were, there were plenty of players, South African, New Zealand, Australians, who, you know, no matter how great they are, never get to play the Lions just because their careers start and finish within those 12 years. And so, you know, he's, he's very, the, everyone in South Africa is absolutely desperate to get at them. So we shall, we shall see. Well, we shall indeed. Boris Starling, uh, who writes about the forthcoming Lions tour in The Sporting Life, the new sporting section of the Critic magazine. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, why not subscribe to have the magazine delivered to your door? Subscribe today with the current offer of five issues for £10 by heading to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk.